Hi, welcome to Teaching Illustrators Podcast. My name is Chad Groman. I'm an assistant professor of illustration at RIT in the School of Art and the College of Art and Design. Today I'm joined with Alan Arceo Witzel, a Chicago-based artist who's going to talk to us about making art in this community. Hello. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you doing, Chad? I'm well, thanks. Thanks for coming on today. Of course, thanks. Thanks for having me. Nice to meet you in in a face to face. Yeah. <laughs> so it's such a it's such a rarity, really, because the world's so big. And I met you. I met you. Obviously, when I say that, I met your work on Instagram, and I, yeah. I guess it was mutual in that way. So um, you're the first person I'm interviewing that of uh, a uh, whatever you want to call it discussion came from just Instagram. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting too, because I, it's like the way that you find people nowadays is like, it can be like just so many steps between. So my partner, Leah, did a residency at Main Street Arts with Brad and Sarah. Yeah. And then they shared something that you had posted. And like, that's how I came upon your work. And just, you know, I love your style of illustration and, you know. Uh, Thanks. Well, um, it's funny because one of the things I want to talk about, or actually I didn't want to talk about, but now I, I want to ask, you know, websites is a, you know, what are, what are websites useful for these days? They're this, this nice parking spot, but you know, the real activity comes from our activity. And I went years without having a web website. I just gave it up maybe, maybe a good seven years. Wow. Yeah. And I, you know, I have one now and it's gotten me work, but only if I send it out, you know what I mean? No one's searching websites. Right. Yeah. Artists. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause like it is so much of a, a vehicle to be able to speak out to people and be able to like, even if you're using a platform to make your website and showcase your work, it's an opportunity to be able to, kind of control everything more so these days, especially with like the ease of being able to build a website, you know, yeah. it's not, you know, the net internet 1.0 anymore. It's, it's no, it's not. And you know, even Instagram, you know, some of the, like it, there's a lot of information being shared right now. And I'm finding if I don't go to even people's stories, I'm missing out. So yeah. we've gone from websites to Instagram to Instagram stories. And right, like right. the the brief amount of time that you see that is really what your attention span has anyway. Yeah. So I, I post art there, same way. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean the attention span too, but it's also I don't know the being able to share it so readily that way is neat, but it's also interesting because you have to take into account how much of that is you know it's a it's a curated experience of of the way that you make work and it's even more so when it's like on a platform like that but it's also I think one of the questions you asked me was like how you know how you're using you know the platforms and places that you have to you know bring people's voices up in a way that you know might not be there otherwise I mean, with all that's going on in in the world right now, especially with, you know, all the nationwide protests for Black Lives Matter and, you yeah. know, all these organizations that are working for, like, justice across the board, but mm-hmm. at the forefront, police brutality and, like, changes to policing, period. And, like, that's, you know, having a platform like your Instagram account where you can easily just, like, without, yeah. you know it's so easy to be able to see something that someone else has said and just put it out there in a way that makes it, you know, easy for other people to see too. There's a lot of sharing going on and, you know, a lot of those shares come with tags. So it's what I like about that part is that they're sharing in hopes that you'll go to this person who shared the source. Like we're really concerned with the source where, uh, you know, I think something like Facebook, it, it's a little less so. Yeah, for sure. It's to be kind of a bit of a joke about yeah. that. 
you know? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And you know, um, you had posted, you did a, you did a piece that was largely type mm-hmm. and you use a lot of type in your art specifically if we, if, if the listeners go to the, your website, you and works on paper is where I, I spend a lot of my time looking at your work. There's a lot of type in there. Yeah. So like, I really wanted to talk to you today, you know, about your work, but also using your work as a, a message platform beyond this idea, you know, what was illustrators were, were really talking about the commercial aspect of working. Sure. And then you had the other side of the coin. That's the gallery side where all illustrators end up going eventually young or at the end of their career. And then, you know, we have this other, there's more than three, but then we have this other really substantial component where we can use our, our visuals as part of our voice. And part of that is to augment other people's voices. Right. So do you want to share some ideas that you have on that as a visual person making um, auditorial statements with your work? Yeah. Well, I think that's an interesting thing for me. Just in in undergrad, I was so I was studying printmaking and um, drawing and sculpture, kind of like all at once, and um, trying to figure out where it was that I felt comfortable. And it turned out that it's that translation between mediums and being able to, um, you know, take the personal experience, which I think a lot of artists, like that's, I think one of the fundamental things that people take in their art experience is just, you know, the things that they do every day and turn that into artwork or, you know, push things past that and like the things that they're able to imagine and, you know, see what comes out of that. So I remember the language stuff started when I was in high school, just of like seeing a lot of, in like the late 2010s, mid 2010s, I was seeing a lot of stuff, um, just, you know, people designing like shirts and things like that with, with, you know, their design, um, with words that, you know, were like kind of quirky and like fun, but yeah. So that's kind of where I came into it, just kind of trying to see, like, where can I put my voice into it as, like, a high school kid who had always wanted to make art. But then going into college at Skidmore, I was kind of trying to figure out what I was doing, where my career, quote-unquote, career was going, and, Uh, like, practice as an artist. And I remember in a printmaking class, the artist Leslie Dill came and talked to us, because she had a show in the gallery upstairs in the art building and she just had one, you know, one point where she's talking about how she has developed her own practice. And that was something that a lot of us, I think were starting to develop. So it was, you know, all ears to see what, you know, these professional artists are talking about. And she just said, I, when I have an idea, I just like write it down. I just write down whatever happens because you know, if, it, if it's not important, it's not going to stick. But sometimes things need time to, you know, to gestate and be able to develop and sit for a while. Absolutely. Um, and so that's something that I really remember, you know, getting into using words in my work. Um, it's, I think it's kind of built over the last couple of years, just in terms of thinking about what language can do. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that be, you know, poetic language, translation and medium or translation and language for me particularly and, you know, for folks that are bilingual or um, polylingual, if, if you have uh, such a privilege to, yeah. <laughs> to be able to you know, speak more than more than two languages, um, you know, what where does that play into for me, my identity as a biracial Mexicano and white American, where does that come through? Um, and how does that make work more interesting? Or if there is no text or if there is a pointed message and nothing else, or if the entire body of the piece that you're talking about that was, that I was working on in response to, um, 
George Floyd and, you know, this issue of police brutality and policing in the United States that we've had for, you know, since the inception of this country. Yeah. Um, I think that's a lot of what people are holding on to is, is words right now to be able to, like we were saying, to be able to easily share a message to people, you know, whether it be through social media or through just like the work that you're making. I think that's really big. So you, you know, I've read, I've read some, some of your bio and, you know, an interview that you did and you really talk about using everyday language, maybe something that you heard and in, in the case of the piece we're talking about, or even when we look across the internet with a lot of quotes or snippets or entirety, entire messages, the, the content's out there. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's out there in a way that, again, we can go back and amplify. So when you chose the verbiage for that particular piece, were you, were you tapping into maybe some of the, some of the like on-site language that was being kind of said during the protest or maybe during a clash more so than maybe the list of things that a person can do or when you're directed towards organizations or website. So I guess what I'm, all of this is coming to is in this case, using your, your image to get a message across, where do you prefer to pull that language from? Yeah, I think, I think a, a good example of the easy way is something like live, laugh, love, you know, that kind of language that has kind of become hyper commercialized and that's kind of the product and the easy way to like whatever quote unquote express how you're feeling if that's really as simple as you're feeling well you're tapping Um, in to to how everybody says they're feeling right but i think the important thing for me though so the language that i use there is from um I think he's Portuguese. If he's not Portuguese, he's Brazilian. Um, but like social theorist named Paulo Freire. And um, I saw, I think Nat Piper is their name. Um, you know, just posting some reading that they were doing in, in the context of uh, all the social unrest. And that, that piece um, comes from his Freire's work called Pedagogy of the Oppressed, which is, um, it's what it sounds like, you know, kind of deconstructing uh, systems of oppression and, um, you know, how we can work to overcome them, how do we recognize the problems with them. Um, And so I pulled that language also because, one, I resonated with it, and two, I'd had a previous connection to it in uh, high school class um in which i it was an interesting experience just because i was one of two people that could be identified as white in a class of entirely black folks um which in my high school was not like that's not that was not my experience um and you know i learned a lot from my teacher in that class just about you know systematic racism and how that kind of manifests and so I saw that and wanted to take that and you know broadcast it out there um you know like I said because I resonated it resonated with it and um I think it was also eloquent in the way that it doesn't pinpoint on one specific um, you know, movement I had at the bottom, like, you know, Black Lives Matter, Solidarity Forever is, you know, really big, like, union, like, Wobblies, IWW stuff, um, Solidarity among workers, among, you know, right. um, movements, um, decolonize this place, which is a big, uh, you know, thinking about ideology, thinking about our country as being established on the grounds of, you know, colonialism. Um, so, you know, little hints at that, but like the broader image saying, you know, we need to address the source of violence, violence. If you're seeing what's happening in the streets and saying property over 
people, you know, there's something wrong. That's, that's, that's what I was seeing in that. And, but I think also what you're saying about, cause I, I do like to use language that I pick up in, you know, day to day experience, um, you know, and in this context now there's a lot more, um, inspiring and, you know, necessarily critical language, I think, about um, the systems that we participate in and live within, but also there's, um, you know, opportunities for fun little things, like, so I've got, like, you know, like little bits of language kind of all over my desk, um, just kind of, like, as little, you know, places to pull from when I'm feeling like I don't have anywhere. Um, I know you guys can't hear it, but <laughs> like, I'm, I'm showing bread pieces of paper yeah. that I'm just like I'm writing down when I hear something that I like or right. sounds poetic or, you know. To be brought later for an image, maybe something that inspires you if you connect with maybe a, an event and you could pull that, that text to go with it. Right, exactly. Because in the wider scope of what's happening, there is some continuity from day to day where you may, you may have a piece where it was something that you experienced that was singular to that afternoon or something that was said. We're here, we're looking at a larger, a much larger scope. So something that you grab from today, you could still apply two weeks ago because it's a larger message. Right. Yeah. One of the things that I think, I, I think that um, was being talked about anyway is you know, as we make these, as we make images in our, in our day to day, there's a certain point when, when the, when the protest began, at least in this, this time, mm -hmm. a lot of people start posting these fun images. Like I know for me, like there's a, I'm doing a lot of work I want to share, especially to support people who I did it with and I didn't want to post it. So I started doing other works more pertinent to what we're going on. And, you know, one of the pieces that I put up there was, let's make sure that we keep focus. And so when the next thing comes that we don't lose it, yeah. you know, and, um, that one. yeah, when do we, when yeah. do we start posting fun stuff again? Like, I guess it's up to each person, but I'd love to hear your ideas on, on the appropriate time to, to not get back to normal, right. to post more like us. I think there's a lot of people posting everybody else. Let's get a message out. And then there's our own personal work. So those are two different things. Yeah. Well, I think it's about, I like totally hear that. And I've, you know, I've had conversations with friends talking about it. Um, and it's, uh, it's an uncomfortable place, right? to be in the midst of so much anger and outrage and frustration and to be a creative person. And I think our, our job is to respond to the world. People, you know, all folks don't do it the same way. And I think that's valid because you can't, you know, you can't expect the same understanding or same um, perspective from everyone because that's just not the reality but I think that the problem of of sharing you know things that you might have been working on I'm I, I'm in the same boat like there's things that I have been working on that I'm excited about going forward with you know collaborations and projects that you know are important but it's also how do we do that in a way that's not ignoring the movement that's happening? I think that's, it's hard, you know, mm -hmm. um, but I also think that black folks in this country have been in this position for, you know, in different, in different forms, but you know, for 400 years, like yeah. we've, we've moved past things and the work still goes on. I think the work of so many organizations across this country, like 
ACLU, like NAACP and their legal defense fund, Black Lives Matter, like, you know, name as many as you want. I think when people stop posting, I don't think, you know, it's posting things that are relevant to um, the unrest. I think, you know, things are still going to happen, but I think it's this, this public outcry that people need to take into account that if you're not doing some kind of work and I personally don't feel like I've been doing as much work on, you know, educating about all this stuff, be it systemic racism, sexism, um, you know, any kind of discrimination out there um, that I could be, that's where you say, I'm going to set aside time to make a contribution to these organizations, whether that be monetary or, you know, through volunteering, um, you know, do stuff for your local food bank, um, you know, all that kind of stuff, because posting your work doesn't necessarily negate the fact that, like, you know, that you're doing work outside of yeah. that, because that was happening already, right? Yeah. I also feel like, you know, to look at it in a way where today I'm posting images or supporting Black Lives Matter and tomorrow I'm going to post um, an illustration I did for some magazine. I think if, I think if I can only speak personally, I, if I take a division between today and tomorrow or yesterday and today, that's the problem. Yeah. So, I think with this with this idea of change and progression, it needs to come with us. Like it needs mm -hmm. to. It's okay to post this illustration I did for this magazine, right? Because in a couple of days I'm going to post something else. And also, I know I can only speak for myself that I'm hoping that my content is more informed going forward. Right. So when we have something like a protest that are, we're being called to change, the idea is to change, not yeah. to focus on this protest and then go do something else when, when election day comes, which is gonna be the next big distraction and it's already here. Right. So like to actually take with you the lessons that you've learned so that this can go away. Yeah, and I think it's also going along with that, I think a big part of any kind of social activism and and, um, you know, community-based work, um, political movements, whatever it is, you have to be able to look out for yourself. You're still a human being. You need to take care of yourself, um, not, in, not in the sense of, like, you know, pamper, like, you know, obsess over yourself, but, like, you know, be, be, be cognizant of, of the weight of, you know, all this, all this heavy stuff that's, that's out there and um, experiencing, you know, people that are experiencing this, I think we're all experiencing this. If, if, I think if, if you're telling yourself that you're not, or, you know, the folks out there that, that are saying, you know, all lives matter and that kind of stuff, it's like, like, where, where have you been? Like what, it's a time for reflection and, like you said, yeah, keep, you know, hold on to the lessons that you're learning, um, and not and not that everyone has to make political art from here on out because you know that's just not the reality. That's not going to be how it works. But if if that's your impetus to start doing something like that, like personally, I've been thinking about that kind of approach to stuff, but it's you know never manifested because it always feels so overwhelming. The amount of things that are um, in need of like, you know, whether that be, you know, dismantling, defunding and reconstruction, um, or, you know, just like basic reform, it feels daunting, but you know, something like this makes me realize that you can take it, you know, one project at a time or, you know, do it with friends or do it with organizations that are already out there. So. Yeah. There there are other images to create too. So Exactly. We can be we can be a person. A person can be 
very much forward in their political view or their social view. And that that's that person. Yeah, we can sure. also use our art as a general support tool for people who are depleted or people yeah. who are going through trauma. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways if, to help each other without even getting close to where someone might be politically and socially. For sure. Because people need, you know, and you touched on this, like we need to replenish ourselves as yeah. human beings. You know, you need to stay healthy, right? You, you need to, even if we look at just nutrition, like yeah. you have to have a balance, right? Right. So um, just to kind of, because on my screen here, I, I have American Body Presumed Useful that you did in 2018, because I just really love the image. And so did you have themes that you were drawn to or, you know, when I think when people are first starting out, unless they're really strong message deliverers, they're just like making art. Yeah. So did you have themes that you would work around to kind of promote socially or is, or do you feel like you've just been kind of really encouraged to do so now? Um, I think so being a, a biracial person in this country, but also, you know, I think a lot of people of color think that, you know, and they do, you have a right to be able to, you know, just like live your life and people are doing it because that's, you know, that's being a human, but also wanting to be able to speak to things that aren't being said or maybe that need to be heard more. Um, I think when I was starting to find myself in making work in undergrad, I, you know, I might've been thinking about identity, but not in such a like pointed way as now I really want to be doing more so and have, I think, started working towards it. Um, when I was just starting out, you know, at the beginning of being, you know, more focused as like thinking about this as a career, um, because I wanted to be an artist my whole life. Let's, let's start with that. But, um, I think things that I was thinking about were like usefulness because I was, I'm in, I like shapes and like objects. Um, so that like the formalism of an object, but also how we see that as, um, something that is uh, a tool or can be used in some kind of ritual of daily practice, but could also be, you know, something that humans have been using since like ancient times. Like for me being half Mexicano, it's looking back at like pre-Columbian stuff. So uh, Maya Aztec stuff. Um, and connecting that experience of humanity through into contemporaneity of, you know, where we're at today. And, but also being, being funny about stuff, because I think sometimes I think a lot of the conversation that we're having now is about being uncomfortable um, and how do we get um, people to do work and especially, you know, white folks in this country, because for a long time it's been considered that race is a, you know, problem for black folks and other people of color, which, you know, it, it's a problem for everyone, right? Um, to be tackling. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think that I have just been kind of realizing more recently that that's, you know, that's the kind of stuff that I want to do. But I think inherently the thing that I've leaned on is identity and experience because, you know, that's what, what I'm living and finding things in that, that are, you know, worthwhile expressing like I have, okay. So I was going to say this before, but hanging out with 
a group of friends, um, we often, you know, like just put up some video or some like weird movie that we'll, we'll find on the internet and, um, or, you know, some old movies that we maybe have never seen before. So we're watching, um, oh, what is it called? Uh, not, not Clash of the Titans. It's something like that. Um, Jason and the Argonauts. Okay. And, and, you know, making little like goofy names like over there, Ecclesi, or like everywhere, uh, or like pudgy muscle, hairy man. Like that's, you know, that stuff is just as important as, you know, being socially conscious. And if that's what you want to do, um, and be able to record your identity and, and that, um, lived experience. It's rounding yourself out. Yeah. You, you do. It's a, it, it, it also goes back to balance. Yeah. Um, and I having think, a sense of humor, you know, I, I you know, you, you said identity, you know, I think that sometimes it's, it's focused on and obvious, but also like people who aren't really sure who they are as artists, mm-hmm. if you really look and know who you are and know yourself, you'll get that answer. Like yeah. it's, it's in there more than just, like a selfie it's, it's like who you are and what you really care about. You paint what you know and you, you create strong paintings and then you take those and you find outlets for them to share your ideas with along the lines that you think of. And it's, it's a much simpler process. It's, you know, it, that, that kind of breaks down a creative barrier to me. Yeah. Knowing yourself. Yeah, for sure. And also not, I think also not judging yourself too harshly my printmaking professor at Skidmore was one of my you know biggest influences in you know growing and developing as an artist and she said um her name is Kate Levitt just in case you'd like to look up her work because her work is great too she's a lithographer um and she said if I had to put every single piece that I worked on into a show I wouldn't make any work I, I would be like stressed and worried and like overly critical about everything that I'm making. And I think giving yourself room to be productive mm-hmm. um, in a way that's not necessarily pointed at a project is again, part of that um, allowing there to be fun and enjoyment in the work that you're doing, but also to be able to experiment and to be able to um, I think that's also part of that self-care kind of stuff because if if you're going down the path of doing art as a career, whether that be as an illustrator or designer or whatever, um, I think giving yourself that room is what makes it sustainable, right? Because yeah. you can get all the jobs and and you know submit your portfolios and get all these contracts and whatever, whatever, sell your work. But if you're not enjoying it, that's when, you know, you get to the point where you're saying, why am I doing this? Right. Yeah. When I, when I early in my career, I was very rigid and and I would, if, you know, I would work at nights. And then, so at the end of the day, if I didn't feel like I produced a a piece of quality art, I was really defeated. And then it took me a while to kind of give myself permission to create some garbage. Like mm-hmm. I want to create some garbage so I can one <laughs> recognize the good stuff. And also because right. that garbage, you know, it's like an initial sketch that needs to come out. And you know, like your professor was saying, if you had to show everything you did, I, I really destroy a lot of work because <laughs> I think it's bad. And I think bad my bad work at least should not exist. So I, I tear it up. But if I kept everything I did, I, my, it wouldn't be fair to my family. Like I, I they would be drowning <laughs> in it. Yeah. And that's kind of when, so when I started loving working really, because as an illustrator, I illustrated for work, you know, and then making art just to, to kind of free up and draw a really poorly perspective car made me so happy. So I started really mm-hmm. loving the work. <laughs> And then yeah. eventually I started changing material and started working with cardboard and, and really non-archival stuff. Yeah. And that was really in the same thinking. And I, I know you use a multiple amount of material. Yeah. Does, and you, you, you're a, 
where do you where is your outlet for work you show right you I mean so you, yeah your people are buying your work they're not buying archive do you ever think about that yeah well I think um it's funny because that was something that came about through a drawing class that I took because I had a friend who was just um he was just like collecting trash like from anywhere like stacks of cardboard like packaging from from things that he ordered or um and so I looked at that and was like oh like that's that's the space to be making stuff and you and you don't have to care that much but it's also um you know formally interesting because you can look at the quality of the material like how can you ad address cardboard as a material it's you know there's so many different layers to it there's different kinds of cardboard they have different like structural integrities to them um you know ripping off the surface to cut into it and get that texture from the inside um i think the the thing about having things be non-archival that kind of butts up against to the printmaking side of stuff that i experience um because like printmaking people are like you have to like this is how you handle paper yeah you know these are the like these are my favorite inks and like the process of stuff is like a big part of what matters right and the material i think you know lots of creative disciplines are about material um if they're not i don't know that that's like being honest um but i think it's using that part of um, the creative process to have some fun and make things do what you want them to do. Yeah. Um, Cause I've been, I've had like, I think we all have like spurts of interest in topics and sometimes they're things that last for a long time and sometimes they just like pop and go away real quick. Um, one of mine has been, uh, mail, like the postal service yeah, kind of service. stuff. Um, or like, I guess like cultural ephemera stuff. So like the design of a bubble gum wrapper or a matchbox or, um, instructions for building a shelf or, um, the packaging on little like explosive, uh, you know, smoke bomb, get you know, that kind of things. Yeah, um, misaligned, mis mis uh, registered color and right air and, and deterioration. All the character that comes with that and how, I think for me that's where I've recognized the importance of like the story of an object and how you work it. Um, especially if it's something physical, um, whether that be a sculpture or a print. Um, but also I, I like to consider how much it matters, whether something is going to last or not. Like if I'm going to make a print in a woodcut, I'm going to make it because I like the quality of making a woodcut and I'm there to enjoy the process and, you know, make the imagery that I'm going to make and send the message. If I, you know, there's an obvious message or not. Um, yeah, I think, I think there's, there's a lot of play to be put into that side of making things. Right. Yeah. You know, it's you, when you, when you said looking at maybe looking at something that's older, right? And yeah. we draw inspiration from, like I really love old Easter egg coloring kits. The colors are cool, the, yeah. the drawings are okay, but they're not printed well. And like, I really love things that aren't printed well, you know, yes. and I love old cardboard. So I, I get a lot of inspiration also. Now these things are printed well, but like vintage Halloween cards are yeah, just yeah. so cool. So. For us, it, at this time, we can look back not so far. We're, we're in transition and we can take from that. I wonder, you know, like my kids' kids, 
Yeah. Are they going to look back on vintage Halloween cards or are they going to look at my time who is looking at vintage Halloween cards? So like, and that goes back to like, are you inspired? If we're inspired by an artist, are we looking at their inspirations to get further inspired or are we stopping one generation back? I feel like Mm -hmm. this is basically me saying I, I feel bad for my grandchildren because they're, they're not going to have a lot of tactile stuff that's not made of glass or, or metal. So I love cardboard because it's tactile and I love, um, hands on, hands on like picture making partly because as an illustrator you're doing flat page stuff but when you start to make something that's 3d or has a surface texture and even if you're the only one to touch it it's a different experience oh for sure and i think it's i mean what you say i think it's gonna it's gonna have to be if, if they're really paying attention you know grandkids of grandkids it's a about how they're how they're interacting with the world like what is the interface of their new future like art making tools um versus you know what we're doing now versus what was happening a hundred years ago it's you know it's i think it's about context like all the time um i remember i don't know what it was that led me to it but sometimes i do a lot of digging i think it goes back to like research research does not have to be boring like when you were in elementary school and you were doing a project about like a tree because you were assigned by your teacher maybe it wasn't fun because you're like why do i care about this oak tree like but now you can you can do it so one so easily now because of the amount of information what people say we're in the information age because there's like there are books there's audiobooks there's music there's um the internet there's uh online encyclopedias there's like but also looking at the way that information is presented is also part of understanding it in a way that i think makes it that much more exciting so one of the phrases that has stuck with me for the past couple of years is out of the blue on the wings of small events, which I can no longer find the video that I had found it in, but it was essentially, um, it's not really a safety training video, but it, I think it was for like Union Pacific Railroads, uh-huh. something like that but it was talking about um, like your state of mind when you go into work or something like that and having a hypothetical situation, but it just like, it just popped up on the, on, you know, in, in the midst of everything else in the video. And I was like, Whoa, let's take a step back. And like, what is that about? Because I think it's a really good descriptor because it's saying there is spontaneity in everything but also you have to take into account that context where are things coming from things don't just happen Mm. there's there's a story behind it there's a legacy there's um like we're saying a practice and another thing just about like interacting with things in the world whether that be you making them or studying them um I think a lot about the way that cultures before our modern cultures were living life. It's really hard to tell what people living in like the early Maya period were like, what was their experience? Like we have, we have things that say, here's their ruler. Like here's, here's things that have actually survived from that period um, or like shards of things. What was but, their day to day? Like, right. It's like that for me is because when you find stuff like that, um, like that's the anthropology kind of like deking out kind of stuff. And I, I guess sociology too, of just like, that's incredible that we have a record of how these people were living their day to day lives. Um, 
but also belief systems too, right? Because um, you had mentioned about like how do you think about work in the context of you know doing art as a career and like commercial work mm -hmm. um because that, that made me think about so in the pacific northwest of the united states um an indigenous community called like the haida people um up there near like seattle and oregon um in their native language i hopefully this is correct i've heard this several times but hopefully it's correct there's Dude. no word for art but there's so much of their community and traditions that is like so beautifully made and adorned and you know from a spoon to uh you know like a ceremonial cape or you know assemblage of you know masquerading or you know materials it's and so like what is what is the value or you know putting into context usefulness of having a denotation of what is considered art or yeah. what is considered valuable or what is you know where do you take that information um or how do you interpret it right In yeah I, I love that i love that because you know, I always, I've been thinking for years about, like, if we look at galleries mm -hmm. and we look at leaders, we put the leaders of a, a movement maybe in a gallery. Mm -hmm. And I always think about all the other artists that contributed to that movement that, that had something to say, but were deprived from their voice. Yeah. And like when I see, we were just in, when COVID just hit, we were in Vermont. At a, there's a really interesting gallery out there. It's like multi buildings. I'm for, I don't know the name of it. I forgot, but they had like a inkwell. It was like a it was like a cat and her kittens, and it was made so that you could dip your dry your pen off with it. You know. Oh yeah. And then I just saw something else. It was like an iron. I think I saw it on Instagram. Maybe it was an iron in the shape of a hand. Oh. All these really playful cultural art artifacts that yeah. the art really does tell you a lot about where these cultures were going like socially like to see like the fun side of it because is the way we want to see we want to see violence and we want to see um how hard everybody had it like yeah. what do i know about i know i know there was a wheel and they ran a stick with it and i know there was a, a <laughs> you know these big bikes and and that's about it and everything else was you know in a yeah. movie so I'm, you know, we really get deprived by not seeing the, that's why I like folk art. Yeah. yeah. I want to know what the folk are saying, you know? Yeah. It's really important, that part, tramp art, you know, what, what's the rest of the country saying that that's not getting a voice? Yeah, for sure. It's all of that stuff. That's, I mean, I, I love that. That's what, what I'm hearing from you because that's the stuff that I get like, Oh my God, that's amazing. I, like, yeah. Okay, old irons, just like solid cast metal irons are just like, they're the strangest things, but they're also so beautiful. Like, what an idea yeah. to, to say that that's like, you know, your base foundation of something. And then how, how does the next person say, turn that into, you know, something that they put time into and they like carve the wax of, of so it or you know, it goes the other direction and it turns into an industrial like casting of something that's going to be sold for this company. Um, or, you know, it's just like, that's yeah. really cool. That's really interesting. And that's a lot of parts where I think people think, and I see people, I don't know necessarily who, but sometimes people think that kind of stuff is like stodgy, but I think, that's just like surface level. Like if you're really, yeah, sure. It's like, it's just an iron. It's just um, like a, a bag of chips, like, mm -hmm. oh, sure. right. But um, it's like, what do you do with that? Like, what do you enjoy about that? Cause I think that's part of art as a practice. That's interesting is being able to use the visual or, um, you know, the power of observation to say, 
here's what I enjoy about that. Why do I like that? Like, why, why is that something that's pulling me in? This, this little part of our conversation reminds me of, there's this great space here in Chicago that's called the Roger Brown Study Collection. Um, and it's affiliated with the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. But um, essentially what it is, is the artist Roger Brown, who was kind of lumped in with the Chicago Images School of Artists, um, that was one of his studio space. It was his studio space when he was in Chicago. Um, he's from oh, like Mississippi or something like that, I believe. Um, somewhere somewhere in the south maybe it's alabama um but nonetheless he had this studio space um that's now it's like a live space and a studio space and kind of an archive now because it is the collection of the state of you know his life in that space you know, after he left, maybe there's some things that were added, but it's, you know, things hanging all over the walls, things on the shelves. It's, it's things that he bought at yard sales. It's work that he collected from friends and other artists like Carl Worsom or Joseph Yoakum, who was like a self-taught artist. It's, it's all these things. It's like the things that I see behind you on our, on our video chat, you know, and that's, that's the stuff to me that's interesting because it pushes us to say like, Oh, there's, there's the source maybe of one element of someone's work. And maybe that provides an opportunity for you to transition into a whole new direction that you didn't know you wanted yeah. in the first place. And it could be as small as that. You, we can experience major shifts off of an experience, good or bad traumatic or joyful, we can experience a major shift off seeing, you know, a little squirrel's house or something, you know, some, something somebody built for something else. And maybe that opens our, our mind up to a, a, just a different way of, of thinking in not even just as image making, but, you know, if we keep our eyes open, we can grow in life. And it's sort of important. Yeah. Bro. I think I think knowledge sharing has been a thing that I mean I think it's been happening for a long time but in my experiences being a younger artist like getting more involved in the community of Chicago as a you know art community um just like people are ready people are ready to share what they know how to do or things that they find because that's what makes you know, that's what makes the whole experience that much better for everyone involved. And, you know, is the important thing I think about community and taking action and, yeah. you know, whatever it be, whether it just be, you know, taking the time to doodle something or make an addition of, uh, you know, activist posters to let people know what needs to be changed and, yeah, you know, that was one thing I wanted to talk about um, was that, you know, we can we can make art and there's a lot of fundraisers going on, you know, selling art for this and, you know, that it's got its own issues to navigate. It is a, a use. It is a useful thing to be an artist. We can really do quite a bit with art aside, you know, for our community. Being connected to our community is is a major part of life. You know, I like the way that you had described it earlier. Yeah. Um, and Chicago must be, you know, that's a, a, a big city. That's a big player in the country. So there must be, uh, it must be really great to be involved in that. Yeah. Lots of energy. Yeah. But I mean, I think there's also just like across the country, there's as a discipline, printmaking has been doing a lot of neat things like, just offering up free printing services to be able to print, you know, posters for black lives matter. If you're an activist, please reach out to us. We'll, you know, if you've got a design, we'll print it. If you want to make a design, we'll do something with you. And I think that's, that's just like, Oh, that's, that's so true. cool. That's why I love art so much. Like yeah. it sounds like I'm geeking out about it, but it's just like, that's, you know, 
it's worth it. That's I why mean, I'm here, man. Yeah. Like, um, so I guess I, I just want to finish up here, although this is such a great conversation. I really appreciate you um, talking. Where do you, do you think about where you're going next as far as an artist, as, a, as an image maker? Yeah. You know, I, I touched before on um, artists kind of have all these avenues to go into. So I don't know much about, about like science, but I would think if I was a, a chemical engineer, I wouldn't really have that many skills of being an electrical engineer. Mm-hmm. But if I'm an illustrator, I can go into other, I can go into galleries or if I'm a printmaker, I mean, you're definitely um, illustrative content. Mm-hmm. Do you have, is that on your radar? Where are you going with your art as far as, because you're, you're artists, you know, we're almost at this, this double-edged sword where we must create. Like you have to, mm-hmm. you have to be an artist for a living because you can't help but do anything else but make yeah. pieces of art and visual images. So where do you see yourself going? Yeah, ain't that just the way? It's like, it's, so I, I come from a family of educators. Um, my mother is a, uh, has been an educator for several decades. She's a principal in Chicago Public Schools. Um, my dad is an elementary school art teacher. My grandmother was an elementary school teacher. My grandfather taught community college. My sister um, is a high school history teacher. Wow. Um, I, I have started... So my part-time job is working with an after-school program through the Chicago Public Library, um, through a program called UMedia that's basically uh, multifaceted uh, like creative opportunities for, for kids after school, middle school, and high school um, doing art. And I think that for the past year and some months, it's been a real, you know, instigator for me to say, now that I'm here, what can I do in terms of educating with, you know, having conversations like this with you, like this has been really energizing and, and means a lot. And how can we share doing things like this or teaching the skills to build a foundation of, you know, do you want to be an artist or are you an artist? What do you need to, you know, learn more about? Um, I think that there's a lot of things going on for me right now. One, because I, I, I don't have a, my normal job anymore. Um, but two, because the community is reaching out in a way that like, I can't, I can't say no to, you know, I'm working on a mural with um, a community arts organization here in Oak Park um, for part of their gallery to be kind of a public facing thing. Um, Working on more posters and visual resources for um, not just the local community here in Chicago, but, you know, being able to give that out for people to access. There's a if people want to look into it, there's a profile on Instagram. I don't think they've had, they don't have any other like platform right now, but called posters for black lives matter. It's with underscores in between things, but they're doing, if you want to submit things, um, post them up, send them an email and they'll, you know, put them out for people to be able to use those. Oh, that's um, great. Whatever capacity they're um, wanting to look and use those. And what a great idea. You know, working on stuff for shows and yeah, trying trying to make sense of where things are going, but also kind of trying to take stock and see like what's working and what's not. But I think that's always, you know, that's always the thing you're doing. Yeah, that'll never go away. Yeah. Well, thanks again. It was great speaking with you. And oh, thank um, you, Chad. I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much again, Atlan, for coming on the show. That was a really great conversation. I got a lot out of it, and I hope everybody else did too. Please check the show notes for links to Atlan's work. And thanks for coming by the podcast. I'll see you next time.
Matlan Arceo Witzel. I'm a printmaker, drawer, artist, image maker from Oak Park, Illinois, outside of Chicago.